do the jingle as well. So, hey, everybody, welcome to Wide for Winning Podcast, episode four with Helen Pengeli uh, from Bognor Regis, I believe. And very welcome, Helen, to join us today. I'll just run the quick jingle. Um, apologies for the volume on this. Wonderful to get that piece out of the way anyway. So thank you for that. Helen, you're very I welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Oh, could you not? <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, well, there's technical issues from the start anyway, um, as long as we're recording, and that's the main thing. So, listen, you're very welcome to the podcast. You're a, uh, I'm going to say, a veteran podcaster yourself, actually. I've listened to some of your episodes, which is wonderful. Like myself, diagnosed later on in life with ADHD. Um, we're going to continue now on the story. But, Helen, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story with ADHD and, and you know, your journey so far and, and so on and so forth? Yeah, well, it's been very interesting because I've been, well, I've been meditating for many, many years. Um, and and so it, it was interesting when, when I got the diagnosis because my kind of natural inquiring mind wants to find out more about this and go a bit deeper and um and and not just take everything that you see and you read about it on face value because there's so much information and misinformation out there as well so um yeah i was diagnosed when i when i was 58 and so it does make me laugh when you see people say, oh, I was diagnosed with late in life and at the age of 27 or something. So you've got no idea. Well, actually, I, I'm humbled to be in your presence right now because I was diagnosed at 43. So you you beat me by over a decade, actually. So, wow, that's a that must have been a massive revelation for you on on reflection of, of looking back on your life. Did you kind of think about that at the time and go those things that happened were because? Wow. Yeah. Tell us like about that. Yeah, well, well, it was like, well, that was what what kind of led me to the realization really because it was I was at a very low point in my life and and financially as well and I was like thinking well what's going on here why is it that other people I mean and, and I don't like to compare myself to other people because you can't believe what you read on social media but at the same time I did know people who were able to start a business and then sort of almost better way to start earning money from it <laughs> and I'm thinking and I've done all these programs and why spent lots of money on it and coaching and stuff and why hasn't this worked and then I mm. I saw a post um with a link to um it was Gabor Mate's book Scattered Minds and I, and I read that that weekend and then suddenly it, was, it, it all made sense um because the way he talked about you know how your brain was wired and, th and things like that and so it's like oh okay now all, all this makes sense why there were areas of my life where where I, I'd had had challenges but then it and then it was like you saw some of you know then I used to saw information about ADHD everywhere after that as you do when you start <laughs> um, when you become aware of something you start seeing all, all this information and 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 it was and it was quite confusing because some of it, yeah, resonated, but some of it, the things that people were saying, it's like, well, that's not like me at all. And I think, you know, 
that people and I know it's a lot of it, especially on like TikTok and Instagram. It's like for for to get followers and likes, and it's just like all these memes. And I'm thinking it's not that simple. <laughs> it's like it's like oh well, I've got ADHD, so I can't do maths. I say no, that's not right because I've got a maths degree. I used to be a maths teacher, so that it and it, it's it's got it's got nothing to do with that. It's a lot of a lot of it is to do with how you're brought up, your conditioning. And, and and your in your beliefs so you know mm. I my dad was a maths teacher my mum hated maths so I could have gone either way <laughs> and <laughs> um, but my dad encouraged me so you know I be, I never had that belief that I couldn't do it and and I've coached and tutored many people who think they can't do it and realize actually you can it's like because it, sometimes it just you need somebody who believes in you before you can believe in yourself and I think that was a lot of the things, you know, growing up. Um, I never really wanted to be a teacher, but it was like, well, I needed to do something that I could, so I could earn money and have the school holidays off with my kids. So that's mm. why I ended up becoming a teacher. But I was also very, very creative and um, love cooking. And that was another thing. I think, oh, I hate cooking. That's because I've got ADHD. I can't bother to cook. And I'm thinking, well, I love cooking. That's like my creative outlet, you know. I'm not very good at drawing or painting. But, um, well, I suppose I could do abstract art. But but cooking is my, is my thing. And I do a lot mm. of it. So um, so it was it was like, well, well what's going on here? And, and it was... Um, so I, you know, I, I got the diagnosis, and because of my age, the uh, the psychiatrist didn't recommend taking meds because of, he was worried about the side effects because um, they can rate, potentially raise your blood pressure. And he said, "Well, you've managed all these years without them." <laughs> and but part of me was curious, thinking, "Oh, wonder what they'd be like, what it would be like." And I'm thinking, "No, that's the wrong reason for taking them." It's yeah. like so, and what and I read, you know, people's experiences, what had happened, you know, good at both the good and the bad, um, and 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 from the positive benefits that people got from um, from taking meds. I realised, well, I get that from meditating. So it's like I say, well, meditation, not medication. And um, and again, that's another huge misconception. And I've even seen people who call themselves ADHD experts saying it's harder for people to meditate for ADHD. I'm thinking, well, that's not true because I've been doing it for 18 years. And it's not about, and, I, and I'm sure back in the day the buddha didn't if adhd had been a thing two and a half thousand years ago i'm sure the buddha wouldn't have gone around telling people well you can't meditate because you've got adhd and so for me well it's just about it's it was about understanding my mind and and how it worked so um so and that's what meditation is you know this, oh, well, I can't meditate because I can't stop thinking. Well, you're never going to stop thinking. Of course you're not. That's not the point of it. The point is to become aware of your thought patterns and see what's going on in your mind and actually say, well, we, if you've got a really busy mind, well, then it's, it's makes it more, it makes it easier because it's more interesting Absolutely. <laughs> to see what, what's happening. It's like, well, where did that thought come from? Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. What was the thing then you know that that led to you going to get diagnosed was there something that said 
you know, was it something you read or something you, you kind of an experience you had and just said, do you know, I think this may be me. I'll go to make an appointment with, with a a medical professional. What was the, what was that thing that, that, you know, for for people out there who are kind of pre-diagnosis who think they might have ADHD, what was that thing for you? Do you remember? Well, it was when, well, it was when I read that book, um, the, uh, the Gabo Mate book, and then this all made okay. sense. And and I'd had, um, you know, various challenges with my mental health over the years anyway. And I knew that I was very lucky because well, it was nearly four years ago now. And I'd had a, at that point, I thought I might have bipolar disorder. And, um, yes. and I realised yes. that there's a lot of similarities as well. And, um, and and I and I just so I called my doctor, um, not really knowing and expecting oh I would get an appointment in a couple of weeks. And they said, Oh no, you come in this afternoon. <laughs> and so I was like, and 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 that's the thing, it can be such a lottery. And I'm really lucky that my my health centre, my GP surgery, do they take mental health really seriously. And so Brilliant. yeah, and, and they have mental health workers and a a mental health what they call social prescriber and so I just got so much support because after that it was like it was a really difficult like six months the most difficult thing actually was dealing with the DWP because <laughs> when you're self-employed okay. and you've got to try you can't obviously you don't get sick pay you know I was because a friend of mine said well you can be signed even if you're self-employed you can get signed off and get sick pay um but you have to jump through all these hoops and because if you look okay physically they 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 don't believe you you know <laughs> it's like well you can Absolutely. work because, yeah and I, and I was saying to them look I know myself I just need this time to to because if I because you know consolidate. I could, yeah exactly and also again like you said before you look back over your life and you can see like I can see all the times where I burned out and you and you recognize when that's starting to happen and I said look if if I don't take time out now and it's gonna it's gonna take longer it's gonna be worse and you know and you and we we're lucky here I suppose they have been most places we've got like in West Sussex there's a mental health um helpline at 24 hours so I was calling them and and of course they they can say they say well I can tell just by listening to you (laughs) that you need that that you uh, uh, and that's the thing it's like we know ourselves the best and what we need um, but anyway, I always just joke and say, well, if you didn't have mental health problems before dealing with the DWP, you certainly do. Just for our just for our international listeners, the DWP, because I'm based in Ireland, actually, Helen, and uh, okay. I have a, we have a load of listeners in the US as well. The DWP yeah. is the Department of Work and Pensions in the United Kingdom. And, and actually, the arc of the story of the podcast is actually to have a look at um, uh, social acceptance of conditions like ADHD in the world certainly here in Ireland I live in Dublin and uh, mm. you know the 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 social acceptance of ADHD is way behind that of the United Kingdom and certainly the United Kingdom seems to be and again this is my opinion it seems to be way behind that of the United States as well now that may mm. be a good thing or a bad thing but just j- j- just you talk about you know before we start talking and go into detail on you know, the the techniques that you use with meditation to support your ADHD. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd be very interested in looking at and you describing 
specifically some of the behaviors you have, which, you know, are neurodiverse. Again, your story, um, I'll start actually with my own. I have what I call clever days of, of you know, <laughs> a high IQ. And I have what I call stupid days of a very low IQ. Um, and on those stupid days, that they're the days I medicate. But what I couldn't tell you is, um, is tomorrow going to be a clever day or a stupid day? I don't know. It's a lottery of what tomorrow is. How mm. do you, you know, how does that those behaviours come out in yourself as a matter of interest? Well, I think um, it's similar, but, but for me, it's more to do with energy, how much energy I have. And I'm very much like I'm noticing like today, it's a lovely sunny day here on the south coast of England. And I woke up sort of full of energy but the last few days it's been really dark in the mornings and I just feel like I just want to hibernate and I don't want to get up <laughs> and I think that was the thing that I couldn't that sometimes it's, dif sometimes it's difficult to get across to people it's like you might be seeing me on a good day but on Sundays if I can't get out of bed until 11 12 o'clock you know I'm not going to get much done that day and I think it, yeah as you say it, it wasn't that that it was that level of consistency and then realizing no oh, actually I'm not lazy and I think it, it's also you know through meditating as well I learned to listen to my body and what, what my body needs and it's like if my body needs rest I'm going to rest and it's very difficult and I think a lot a lot of what you know we call sort of ADHD is is a problem that's that's caused by the society that we live in because we live in a very unnatural world and I you know having been a teacher I, I didn't return after the pandemic because I was furloughed and then I decided not to go back but um it was like even when I was teaching I used to you know I was always fascinated by people's behaviors both the kids and the other teachers and it's like and you're thinking well we put in all these like 2,000 people average secondary school size I think these days or over a thousand anyway in this concrete box all day for eight hours and you are surprised that they they exhibit these these weird behavior traits because it's not normal for kids to sit still all day they're meant to be moving they're meant to be active and so and that is true and and, and it's like now people are saying oh everybody's a bit ADHD and people get upset by that but I don't because I think we 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 all need to um to be able to take care of ourselves we all need to move it's not normal for us to sit down at an office desk for eight hours a day we need to exercise our bodies are designed to move and and, yes. and of course you know the studies show that now that that's what keeps you healthier in in old age and um so you know my dad he's 91 now but he's like he's really fit and active because he always used to walk to work and he's always been active he's still got his allotment and things like that so it's really important that that mm. we move our bodies so this idea of hyperactivity it's like i'm thinking is it really a problem or is it that we're making it a problem because we're expecting people to fit into this unnatural kind of system that that we've created and 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 um there's a really interesting book i read recently by He's a psychiatrist in the UK called Dr. Sammy Tamimi, mm. and it's called Naughty Boys. I don't if you heard of him. Yeah, I have. and it's really, really interesting because he relates it to to like to 
you know, different cultures and the different cultural ex expectations throughout the world about how boys should behave. And so, um, and of course, it's it's it was much more commonly diagnosed in boys because that was always my thought. Oh, this is, you know, that's what I knew about ADHD. It was hi hyperactive boys who couldn't sit still. <laughs> and, you know, and I've got three sons and my youngest, he's especially like that. But it, when he was at school, it was like, well, he didn't want to do all the academic stuff. He wanted to be make things and he was interested in how things worked. And now he's a carpenter. So it's, it's like, well, those skills are not valued as highly as like academic skills. And I think, you know, all that that needs to change. So it's, it's very interesting when you you look at it because it's like, well, how much and calling things a disorder. And it was like I was saying before about the last couple of days I've been feeling like because it's been so dark and I just want to hibernate. And then they call that, and I have got a sad lamp here, seasonal affective disorder. And I switched it on yesterday and I'm thinking, well, this isn't really natural to have this bright light this time of year. You know, animals, they go away when it's cold and they, they snuggle up and they sleep and they rest and they keep warm. And it's like, why as humans don't we do that? We have to keep going. We think we need to be busy all the time. And I think yeah. it's the fact that we need to just listen to our body more and, 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 and trust our intuition and our instincts that, that what we know is right. But it, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, especially in the society that we live in. It, it's it's like, and I think, you know, I was talking to my parents last night and they don't understand how I live my life because I don't do a nine to five job. I haven't had a nine to five job since 2005, you know. So yeah. it's it's yeah. like, well, you know, but I, I just can't do that. You know, it just... I just feel like, you know, it's like your wings are being clipped and I feel like, you know, a zoo animal or something. <laughs> Do you, just as a matter of interest on that, actually, on that subject matter, what I'm what I'm finding talking to lots of different people about, you know, the, the, the structure of their, you know, individual days, I I need structure, but then I don't want it. And I'll deliberately sabotage it from time to time to go no i'm going to break it all apart and then i come back to structure but just having that ability to switch between you know a structured life and a, a and a non-structured life is is a very good thing i for me anyway i have a very mm. understanding wife and and and, uh, and and i go and do this thing from time to time where i'll jump on a train to cork or to belfast or i'll jump on a ferry and that movement with a laptop allows me to think i don't know why i've no i don't know if it's a dopamine high or a, a dopamine effect or, or just the fact that there's there's movement around me allows me to think and concentrate i can do it at my desk as well but those that that need to get away and do something i think you're absolutely right with what you say listening to your body the circadian rhythms the the book that you mentioned naughty boys <laughs> That was me when I was at school in, and in me, England. I'm not a boy, but that was me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. But yeah. one of the things is, uh, what's very interesting also is I've noticed in in women that I've spoken to who who have been diagnosed with ADHD as well is typically, and again, you know, everybody's unique and everybody's different. But what I've noticed is in these conversations, women tend to 
internalize the, the symptoms of ADHD as opposed to externalize them. Is that your experience or not as a matter of interest? I don't really know because um, I suppose there was there, there I suppose it, it's it's like that um, there was you know growing up in the 1970s it was like there was that expectation that girls behave this way boys behave that way primary school was fine because it I you know I was I was born in 1963 so I'm a baby boomer and we had over 40 children in our class in primary school and it was a mixed school and there was always stuff going on I was like one Mm. of the brightest in the class so you know I always thought everybody was doing the same work that I did but looking back I realized they weren't because especially like in maths I was thinking there's no way that that, that other people would have been doing what I was doing but obviously the teachers realized what I needed and they gave me that stimulation like intellect so there was the intellectual stimulation which I which I which I always crave which I read a lot yeah because that was one of the other things when I went for my first um because my uh, for my diagnosis I went to a local mental health center and the first psychiatrist asked me about my childhood and then I said oh I love reading because we didn't have a tv when I was growing up and and she said well and she said well you can't have ADHD then because you like reading and I said well it's not that it's like I read about what I'm interested in I couldn't read a book on I mean like my son bought me this book that he loves but it didn't interest me at all so I couldn't read that if it's something that interests me then then of course I, I could I can read it but then when I went to secondary school because I was like top one of the top of the class I went to a grammar school um which for people who who aren't in the UK it, we used to have like a selected school system so we had to do an exam called the 11 plus and if you pass that then you could go to a grammar school like a um, for people with higher sort of intellectual abilities and this was all girls as a church school it was very strict and then I so I was always well behaved in primary school but as soon as I got to secondary school and I was bullied as well because I was really small and um and uh and so of course I had to stand up for myself and the way from because I was really little I couldn't you know these big girls there's no way if they tried to beat me up that I I would win (laughs) a fight with them so I discovered that if I made them laugh they would leave me alone then because they thought you know if if I was funny and so that became like my defense mechanism was making people laugh and and I was quite good at it and I have done some stand-up comedy but then it's, it's interesting now when I look back and I think well Nobody ever said to me, oh, you're really funny, Helen. You could go and become a comedian. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like this, I don't know. It's our education system's weird. It's like, it doesn't look at what, that everybody has to try and kind of fit this thing. Oh, you've got to go and do your, well, it was O-levels back then, now GCSEs, and then and then your A-levels, and then go to university. But it, mm. it's like this, and also, mm-hmm. especially for girls at that time, we, nobody really talked to us about career options because it was like, oh, you could be a nurse, a, doctor, a teacher or a secretary and then you get married and your husband will look after you kind of thing. And that was very much the way that, that I, I was conditioned. And it, it was it was like I, I just didn't really know. And then I ended up doing um, bookkeeping 
uh, getting a job in doing bookkeeping and accounts, which I enjoyed because of all the numbers. But then, mm. but then when I, I never stayed in a job more than eighteen months because once I'd learnt it all, then it was like it wasn't challenging anymore. So then I want to go and do something else. But I think you know that probably applies to a lot of people. Um, but so there was always wanting that kind of that that stimulation, which I don't think is is a bad thing. It's like always, you know, we're always learning as long as long as long as we live but um but yeah i can't remember what your question was now <laughs> no that's okay no it's great this is lovely please it, it's wonderful because when i'm doing these 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 podcasts and i ask questions and and we go off in on tangential things the question was around looking at how when i've talked to many people male and female Females seem to describe internalize, whereas boys Mm. will externalize and and show naughty behaviors, right? And and so on and so forth. Is that something you've experienced? Or I don't think you have because, and again, I'm not a clinician, but using comedy as a a defense mechanism is incredibly clever. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, that's incredibly clever. So you, you sound more extrovert than introvert and i know we can all be both but but so internalizing it doesn't sound to me like that is you i I, again i'm not speaking for you well when i I got um i got the diagnosis they said the combined type isn't there because there's i can't remember what they call it now but there's like the hyper that's it hyperactive and the other one isn't hyperactive and then all combined so um so yeah i mean uh but I suppose as I got older, because I mean, you, yeah, because when you when you're an adult, you know, there is these certain ways that you're you're expected to behave, even though you still feel like a twelve year old inside. <laughs> it's like well, <laughs> it's like well, I um, it, it's not appropriate for me to make wise quacks all the time, you know, so in certain situations, um. But it, it, but it's also interesting what you said about structure as well because for me yeah and I, I think because I did I was a full time teacher for three years and and I, at the end of those three years I could not face another year of going in the same classroom because the classroom that I was in didn't even have a view it just looked out on a brick wall and okay. doing the same national numeracy strategy even all the lessons were planned out. There was very little wiggle room for creativity, and I just couldn't face doing that for another year. But yet, there were other teachers there that loved that. You know, they were really organised and and that kind of thing. And you know, it was the head of department. He was always praising me on my subject knowledge. I got like the best subject knowledge, which upset some of the others. But I'm thinking, why are you upset? Because you've got other strengths. You, I wish I could be as organised you. I wish I could control the classroom as well as you do. You know that kind of thing but but yeah so it's some kind of structure but then um I go on a lot of retreats I volunteer at a retreat center where I go and cook and so of course there's a certain structure there but within that structure I have room for my my creativity creativity of course yeah so it's like they and and it's great because because that's one of the reasons I couldn't 
carry on with teaching because I was just crap at planning, planning lessons. It's right because when when I was doing my teacher training, one of my mentors said, oh, I was very good at thinking on my feet and responding to the needs of the kids. And 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 one of and when I was in my first job and the head teacher observed one of my lessons, I cut, oh, she she one of her it was a criticism, but I didn't speak to the lesson. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? You can plan this, but you don't know how the kids are going to respond or whatever. So it's it's like I was going back to what I was saying before. It's about learning to live more intuitively. I mean, and uh, I love that um, quotation from Joseph Campbell. It's something like sometimes we have to let go of the life we were we planned or something like and live the life that's waiting for us. Um, yes. Because I, you know, I was 60 this year and I never, and I suppose, well, I don't know where I thought I'd be at this age, but certainly not doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> so it's just like, but, but, but it's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. And it's, it's just like, it is what it is. And, and that's also kind of got me through those dark times as well. It's like that actually most of our problems well, all of our problems are created by our minds. And um, and when we recognise that, OK, not saying it's easy. And sometimes, you know, we get over to, it can they can feel overwhelming. And but it's just like having to come back to that present moment and thinking, OK, I don't know what's going to happen next month, where the money is going to come from to pay my rent. But today my rent is paid. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food. I've got a bed to sleep in. So I'm better off than a lot of people in the world and I think that and and so and practicing gratitude as well kind of got got me through that and I see that in a lot of people's you know on on social media it's like they especially you know with this neurodiversity thing now it's like oh we've got to go and train everybody else and it's like no it's not about what other people are doing you've got to change it change comes from within it's like you you can't tell you can't control what other people do what they say but you you can control yourself and how you respond to other people and 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 responding with with kindness so and and I realized actually when I was doing my coach training about 10 years ago um it was like a year long training and about halfway through it I realised that part of my motivation for doing it was that I realised that I had to go and fix all the problems in the world. <laughs> and then I thought, and that was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> of course, but because um, I thought, oh, well, I can become a coach and help everybody else fix their problems. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, no, it doesn't work like that. I've got to sort myself out, you know. Sort yourself and out. The rest will follow, yeah. That's kind of interesting, actually, as well, that the reflection of that. I I, I remember doing a, uh, some courses many, many years ago, pre- previous to diagnosis, and similar to yourself, going, and it was a course in neurolinguistic programming with a guy called Richard Bandler at the time in London. And I remember coming out of there going, I can heal everybody. I can fix the world, same as yourself. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, years later, you know that you can't fix everybody, but actually it's a better reflection of yourself, you know, as well. So tell me, you know, as a as a teacher previously and now a coach, do you feel if you if you compare, say, the United States to, to the United Kingdom, if you compare the, the social norms of of how neurodiversity and i don't want to say just adhd is is kind of thought about do you think 
the UK has come a long way in accepting it in the school system now. I mean, we talk about diagnosis and and I often hear and read about, you know, schools that that you know, have changed the structure of their classrooms to have movement breaks and, you know, there's special education needs, teachers that are added in. And of course, there's there's money constraints and, and there's resource constraints. I get that. But do you think there is a move towards adopting a, a, a less, as you put it, in a box type of, you know, structure to allow people who are neurodiverse to function better? Do you or is it are we nowhere near that yet? Well, as I said, well, I've been out of the education system for nearly four years now, but I don't think we're anywhere near that because you only have to look at the amount of the way that school refusals are increasing. And because I think what people found when, you know, they were furloughed and they were at home, that they had that flexibility. They could do a bit of work then you can go off and do some, play a game, do some painting, go for a walk or whatever, and then come back. And, of course, that helps with the brain function as well. I remember trying to get some kids to do some yoga once because I came into the class. They were, like, year eight or nine, so, like, 13, 14-year-olds, and they're all over the place. And you're thinking, they're not ready to learn. And I think that's what the education system doesn't understand. You can't teach kids until they're ready to learn. And then I said, come on, let's do some stretches. And they were like, oh, what's this? This like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but then but then once I, I thought, okay, let's approach this a different way. And I was in another class and then I was walk I was walking around and then I just put my hands in a prayer position up behind my back like that. I just started walking around the classroom, you know, which is like a yoga posture. And the mm. kids were saying, well, What are you doing, Miss? And I said, Well, can you do that? And then they all started doing it. And then and they said, Well, and then can you do this and can you do that? You know, and then they were so I call it surreptitious yoga. <laughs> That's and a then great say, idea. Doing that, then it just helps them to calm their minds down. Because if they've just come in from playtime where you don't know what's been going on, they might have been running around playing football, they might have had an argument with their best friend. And, of course, for kids, that's all – it's important stuff. And it's like the teachers just – I say not all of them, but many of them just dismiss that. Right, okay, you've got to sit down and do maths now or history. And then it's like going from one lesson to another. And, like, um, in, in secondary schools, like you've got five – usually five lessons a day and then so you've got to do five different subjects and some of which you probably aren't interested in at all and 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 you read stuff on social media but a lot of it is just like so it's all talk and no action because they, they say oh yeah we love ken robinson i'm thinking yeah okay well if you love his talk so much why don't you put into place what he's saying then but they don't and and it's like you go into schools and they have all these um slogans like inspire dream believe and things like that and then they're going around telling kids to do their top button up and pull their socks up and make sure their uniform's correct and it's like because I, I mean because I, there was one school I was due to do some cover work at because they hadn't managed to employ a maths teacher so um I was going in to do a bit of work until they till they managed to get one and then I went in to talk to them and and then the day before I was due to start, I got a call from the agency and they said, oh, there's going to be a problem with this. There might be a problem. Me thinking it's like some admin thing. And they said, oh, it's your hair. And I said, my hair? They said, you, they said, you've got pink hair. And I said, yeah, I've got some pink highlights in my hair. Oh, well, that doesn't fit with their dress code. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, you're not bothered whether I can actually teach. And I was like, I'm thinking, actually, I don't want to 
work there because I was working as a supply teacher, substitute teacher, um, and that the kids used to love it because it, it it created like a connection because you don't know these kids. So it's like then you walk in and I see here's a teacher who's a bit different. Like she's got pink bits in her hair, and then they would comment on it, and then and then that creates a bit of rapport with them. Rapport, and then, of course. Yeah, and then they say, "Oh, well, we we wish we could. We're not allowed to dye our hair's colour." And I said, "Well, if I was your head teacher, you could dye your hair any colour you like." It's like, what does the colour of your hair matter? And these things, silly things that we're teaching, we're teaching kids, and I think that's you know with more kids refusing to go to school it's it's like I saw a lovely post on LinkedIn the other day saying why aren't we listening to them they're showing us they're communicating through their behavior um but we're assuming and and that's the thing I think in answer to your question that that it's always like that the problem or always mostly because I mean there are there are exceptions always but it's mostly it's seen that the problem is with the kids and not with the with the system with the education system with the school itself and i and i can sort of you know my own experience and my what well, i worked i qualified in 2002 then taught full-time for three years from 2002 to 2005 and um and i had a girl in one of my classes um who 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 had who had asperger's and i didn't really know anything about it um, mm. And I just happened to find out by chance in a meeting, <laughs> uh, in a staff meeting, and they were talking about this girl and saying, oh, she was refusing to go to all lessons or causing problems, misbehaving in all her lessons except maths. And and then, you know, it was only years later and I thought about this. I'm thinking she was never a problem in my lessons because I guess I just re- – and I think – I let go of when I, maybe because I was older, I suppose it's maybe it's different if you go into teaching when you're 21 or something, but I was like 39. So I got life experience and I was a mother um, and it was like, well, this is what these kids need. So let's, let's give it to them. And, you know, and she liked that structure. So come in, she used to give out the book. She liked sitting at the front where she could see me and a lot of, you know, sort of um, affirmation Um and praise and and she and she was fine and I was just thinking well nobody ever asked what I was doing (laughs) so why is she not a problem in maths and she is in all these other lessons which is which is the crazy and and I see that a lot you know it's like Mm. it's like um and I suppose that kind of makes sense that I perhaps like there was this connection with the with the neurodivergent kids there was like we understood each other because I struggled at school and so these kids that were struggling at school um I identified with that and I I could empathize with them um and and, and also it, it's like bringing fun into lessons and at night you say now they're having movement breaks and things like that well it's like why we why can't we teach them that that it can be fun as well, and 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 that everything has to have a purpose? It's like, well, why are we doing this, Miss? Um, well, how will it help me in later life? I said, well, maybe it won't. But I said, why can't you just have the satisfaction of figuring out this equation and 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 getting the answer right and just and and how that feels and that you've achieved something, and 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 it's like, yeah, and I think because that's a problem, isn't it? 
with our society everything has to have a have a point to it it's like we can't just enjoy things for their own sake <laughs> for, for the sake of joy you know yeah I, I i agree tell me you know just that story with, with the the girl with asperger's do you feel having adhd and again i i'm i'm drawing maybe some commonality but i've always felt in my my life i've had a certain empathy with people or, or i i can kind of see people and and a friend of mine uh, peter shankman who who has a podcast called faster than normal written a book that lives in new york and he he says when he meets somebody for the first time while he is shaking their hand in that two or three seconds he will have made friends with them had an argument with them, broken up with them, made best friends again with them, and the the handshake is over, and his brain is working that quick. And I'm the same as that. I kind of mm. have these pseudo-relationships with people and, and kind of figure it all out very quickly and have that rapport, that empathy to understand, you know, how to help people. And I, I, I've felt I've had that all my life. Um, is that something you... I mean, you've obviously described that with the, the the Asperger's girl story, but I mean, in general, in life, do you find that as well, or or not? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because um, when when I was at school as well, even though yeah, I struggled, there were other kids that you know you could see the ones who were maybe on the on the well, when I was in primary school, certainly in secondary school, not so much because. There was like, oh, well, if I if because one of my best friends in primary school, she was a bit a bit. I mean, I'm not saying this unkindly, but she was a bit weird like me. And but mm. then um, and she had a difficult time at secondary school. And, and, and that is something I do feel bad about that. I sort of well, she wasn't in my class. We went into different classes. But because and, but it was a self-preservation thing. It's like if people think I'm friendly with her. I'm going to get beaten up as well. So, you know, okay. it's like, cause she's not one of the cool kids. And so, um, yeah, teenage girls are horrible. <laughs> I'm glad I had three sons. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I think at the time it, it was, it was like, yeah, it was, it was self-preservation. So I've learned, you know, to be kind to myself as well, that, I was only doing what I thought was best. And, um, you know, when you're 11, 12 years old, you know, you're not, you're not an adult. You don't, you don't rationalize things the same way that we do now when you're, when you're older and you've got, you're going through puberty and you've got all your hormones kicking off and everything. So, um, it's, yeah, but, but, but I think so definitely. Um, and I think it, since, you know, I, I, join the the buddhist group to start you know learning to meditate i found that within here's a here's a community where i can just be accepted for who i am and nobody's expecting you to be anything you're not and so it's like when i go and cook on the retreats they i mean they plan the menus and they buy all the food although they plan the menus but then i don't stick to it i can do my own thing and 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 like it. And I don't have to do the planning or the shopping or ordering the food. I can do the go in and do the bit that I'm good at. And I think that's a problem again with our society that we've all we, we live in these um like these nuclear units now and we're all disconnected. So, you know, now my kids are grown up and I live on my own and I'm thinking this 
and and I you know and I realised this when I was going to the to to try and sort of get the support when I when I was signed off and it was like but also not only that I said I'm nearly sixty I've got I'm not young anymore and I live on my own so it's like all everything I'm expected to work to earn enough to pay all my bills you know I don't you know and I realise you know as you get older that having a a partner um is is a luxury it really is um having a supportive partner because I've never had that so um it's always fallen on me so it's like and so it's like well looking after my my house well a flat I live in a flat now but doing that keeping it clean tidy going shopping to buy the food cooking my meals that's almost a full-time job in itself and then you're expecting me to work on top of that and so it's like it's no wonder sometimes that I burn out (laughs) I, I I concur with that so so much like you I love cooking and I love from time to time having people over for dinner and I can plan meticulously a menu. But if you said to and, and cook and everybody will enjoy it and have a great night. But if you said to me, George, could you do the weekly shopping for the next six weeks? And it's going to be a consistent menu on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I can't do that. I, I find that an impossible task. And I don't know why, mm. because actually, when I think about it rationally, it's not that difficult it's just it's not lighting my brain up. That's all it is. It's just not yeah. giving me that excitement, you know. And um, tell me, just just on that, um, it, again, if you don't mind me asking, you, you, you've mentioned your age a couple of times there, but um, and, and the late diagnosis. You know, for others out there, you know, who are pre-diagnosis, right, that that seems this this thing called diagnosis seems to be a kind of a point in time where you go and going back to the beginning of the podcast it seems to be this point in time where oh my god there's this revelation i am now neurodiverse officially in the eyes of the world the reality is is that you know i i friends and 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 colleagues who i personally am convinced that that have adhd um, who will never go for diagnosis, you know, and, and that's fine too. Mm. There is no right or wrong mm. answer. You know, you, you know, I, I like, you know, unlike some, I medicate probably four times a month. Some people I know mm. medicate every day. Some people don't medicate at all, like yourself. There is no right answer, Helen, to this, but there is a way, hopefully, that by getting this message out there, you know, that, that you've already done that we're doing now and, and hopefully will continue to do in the future that, you know, these individuals who are going through these tough times. Um, and, and the reason, just so you know, the reason I started this podcast is because if you go to ADHD Europe and you look at these statistics and you say, Hey, listen, you know, people with ADHD are five times more likely to, to end up in prison. They're five times more likely to commit suicide. They're five times more likely to, you know, end up in debt and so on and so forth. And I, 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 on the other side of that, there are people out there and like you, I've had very dark times. You know, I'd like to think that I'm on the other side of that and and of a, a, a measurement of relative success. And I don't mean wealth. I just mean mental success. You know, that, that in myself, I feel I have moved forward. Um, you know, I, and getting that message out there to those that, that may not be so fortunate 
in their own mind that there is opt opportunity to 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 have a sense of relative success and and you know your story today is very poignant because you know meditation the buddhist group the cooking being allowed to do what you want to do and that phrase is very important to me being allowed to do what you want to do without fear of retribution or reprisal is so important mm -hmm. but do, do you have a message to somebody those people out there who are pre-diagnosis okay and they're kind of going should i get diagnosed should i not does it matter to me or not i mean what's your thought process on that one you know well, for me, it, it was just, it's just another for me, it was just it's just like another step in the journey <laughs> to understanding <laughs> myself. And I I've been on this journey for a long time and it, it was like then, you know, and, and I think we're all different and, and there's no right or wrong. And it's like some people write, oh, they get the diagnosis. I want to take the drugs. That's fine. And 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 I because I've had people accusing me that I'm anti-medication. I said I'm not at all. It's a personal choice, you know. Agreed. And um, and, and so it it's what works for you. You find everybody's doing their best with um with what they know, the tools that they've been given, their life experiences, their education, and so it. It, it, again, it, it, it's like it's a, that personal decision. And there, but for me, it's like okay, then I'm going to read all this stuff on it. And then so this year I was reading a lot about trauma and then I went and did a qualification to become a trauma-informed coach and realising, so that example I gave about the girl with Asperger's, I'd been working in a trauma-informed way for years, even before it was it was called that. So, um, but, and then seeing, like, well, the similarities between the ADHD symptoms and trauma and I'm thinking how can we really separate the two I don't believe I don't believe we can because there's not actual a physical thing of ADHD it's just something that the um, they put in the what's it the DSM the diagnostic mm. and statistical mm. manual in the United States with mental health conditions and a lot mm. And there's all these things coming in now. There's another book I read. I can't remember what it's called now by um, a Welsh chap called Windor, I think, or Dore. W its first name is Wynn, W Y N N and D O R E. And it was—it started because his daughter was very seriously dyslexic, and I think mm. when she was about 25, she tried to take her own life. Um, because she was just like she just felt she, like she was a complete failure, and he said there's got to be a, a way around this. So then he was talking to people about you know the brain and how the brain works, and I've always been I've been interested in that for years about the brain, and of course through meditation, and we know that meditation rewires the brain. So I'm thinking why does ADHD have to be a final thing? Why can't you know? And if you say well you can heal it, people get upset. I'm thinking well I believe that you can. Because we we know it's possible to rewire the brain. I and and when you yes. look at like you know mm -hmm. things that are, that are typical like ADHD things like difficulties with executive function, emotional regulation, and things like that. This is all linked to trauma as well. So and we all have it to some level. It's like um, you know just like as I've touched on already, living in the modern world is traumatic in itself because it we're living in such an unnatural way. 
So it's like, well, when you realize that and you can start to to deal with those those um, impulses and things like that. And there was somebody made a comment on a post the other day about that. And I said, well, you 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 can overcome these impulses, this impulsive behavior. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I think, you know, it's like, but I know that that some people would just prefer to medicate it and and not and, and that's fine. But for me, I'm I'm like on my sort of journey because I want to heal. And I and that's like my motto from my website is heal yourself and heal the world. Because I know that by becoming a better person myself and healing, and so I if I can stop acting so impulsively, and um, which is you know, been harmful and detrimental to me and to those around me, then why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, so um, it's uh, and I can see, you know, like with my my sons as well, the effect that that it, it's had on them. I was thinking like, oh, I was my um, my my I've got three sons and the youngest two are really quite successful now. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I think, well, that's in partly due to me because I just encourage them to do whatever they want, you know, follow their dreams. But nobody did that for me. But and even my oldest son, who's he's got all sorts of problems with drugs and alcohol and mental health things. Mm. Um, but it's like, well, that and then again, I had to let go of that. And well, that's his life. It's his journey. He's going through this, whatever he's going through. He's got to learn the lessons he needs to learn from this. But I can be here to support him. I don't have to condone what he's doing. Um, but, you know, I'm always going to love him. And he knows he can call me any time and, I will, and I'm here for him. But um, I'm not going to give him money because of <laughs> all things like that or anything that's going to enable him. But I'm here to love. And I'll, you know, it's like if he wants, you know, for example, like once he said, oh, can I have the money to buy a train ticket? And I said, well, I'll come around to the station with you and buy the train ticket for you. And I said, oh, no, it's all right. I don't need it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but so, so yeah, it's, it's just for me, it, it, uh, for me, it was that, that next step on the journey of, of understanding myself and this healing. It, it's like, you know, it's you. I don't know whether you've heard this sort of like metaphor before. It's like it's like an onion, and it, you peel peel off one layer, you heal one layer, and then there's another layer underneath. So this is just like another layer, and and it's like you know you're saying before we've been through these dark times, and thinking, well, there's no guarantee that there's not going to be more in the future. And it was almost like when I had that sort of like a whole moment about ADHD. I I just done this lovely retreat, and I was feeling all like ooh, and and then my parents said something that completely triggered me <laughs> i was like oh dear more work to do here here we go and so it was like and, but, um but they i mean it, it it is the world is changing and there are more people that are more spiritual now and i just see that it's just part of that it's just part of that journey and i think um and going back to sort of that uh, and I because you know my maths background I like sciencey stuff as well so you know as well as the, the and that's what I like about everything I do it's like it's it's backed up in science it's not just woo woo it's like the um although I 
would accept it without the science, but I love that there is a science behind it as well. That um, that you know, two and a half thousand years ago, when the Buddha was going around teaching all this stuff, nobody could do brain scans and things like that. They could probably see in him that you know that that something's changed, but they just had to take it on faith. And I think that's and that's what gets me through those dark times as well. Is this sense of faith that there's mm. something that's gonna that this um that's 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 keeping me going and this isn't just happening mm. to me it's happening for me and there's lessons in this that that I, that I can learn and it's like and and realizing you know like one of the adhd traits is having lots of ideas and starting things and then you know had how many ideas for businesses so about two and a half years ago or year and a half ago i can't remember now i've lost track when was it that must have been the beginning of last year, beginning of 2022. You know, I had all these ideas. And I think, well, what's been consistent in my life? It's like meditation. So that's what I'm going to focus on. And I'm talking about the benefits of meditation and also EFT, emotional freedom technique. Because when I was going through that a difficult time just nearly four years ago, I came, well, I'd heard of it before, but I came across it in more depth through the um, World Tapping Summit, and it really helped mm. me. And so then I signed up to, and then to train to become a practitioner myself. And again, there's all the science behind that. And there is an episode on my podcast where I interview um, Dr. Peter Stapleton, that's P-E-T-A, she's a woman, P-E-T-A, mm. Peter, who's done, um, she's got, I think her website is called Evidence-Based EFT. So she's done all the brain scans and got all the science behind it that proves that, yeah, that that this works because it's it works similar to acupuncture, which is you know thousands of years old, and and of course they knew about all the the meridians and all the energy channels in the body, and this works the same way, and you can actually feel it, and it's great for people with ADHD with emotional regulation because it just like releases those emotions, and that's what's really important is 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 to let them go because we've gone through life. To, we're taught, especially, and I think it's probably harder for men because you're told, you know, boys don't cry, this kind of thing. So we end up suppressing them or ignoring them and then not feeling what we're feeling. And then that can lead to obviously mental health problems, also physical health problems and things further down the line. And um, and when um, my, my ex-husband died in 2014, and the following year, I had a, I don't think I almost had, had a breakdown because well, something, there was a lot of stuff going on in the family because he didn't leave a will and all the arguments about money and stuff like that. Mm. And it just all got too much. And I got this email and it just like, well, it's just like that little trigger moment and it's all been building up. And then it was just like the final straw and it all came out. Wow. And I just yeah. literally couldn't stop myself from crying. I was just like doing jigsaws because it helped me calm my mind down. And I was just doing these jigsaws. Tears pouring down my face, and I go out, and people say, "Well, oh, look, you look amazing, Helen." And I think I'm having a shit time at the moment, but I think it was because I was just not—I was just letting it out. I wasn't suppressing it, or, or you know, which would just make me end up making me feel more anxious. It's just like this has mm. just got to, this has just got to come out. This has just got to heal, and 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 that's you know. So it's just like where wherever you're at on your journey, whether you decide to you know, I'm talking to listeners here, obviously, um, where, where, whether you decide to go for a diagnosis or not, it doesn't really matter. 
what you do it's like your personal choice it's your journey and it's your choice whether you you want to to go into looking at at healing I mean because this might be a new concept for some people the Mm. idea you know there's I mean, we know now you can heal pretty much. You, the body's designed to heal itself as well. And, and of course, um, I'm not going to get too political here, but a lot of these diagnoses are designed to sell drugs. And I just think, well, yeah, they can help us to a certain extent, but with the symptoms, but they're not going to they're not going to help us heal. Eventually, they'll just um, suppress. They'll mark. They can mask and suppress the symptoms because I, you know, when I was, I was actually um, earlier this year and I was, the doctor um, prescribed me some antidepressants because I was in a real, like really emotionally dysregulated. I said, this might help you. And I went mm. and got them, picked them up from the, from the pharmacy. And then I don't know whether it was, it was like a psychological thing. Cause then once I got them, I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't need these, but it was, it was maybe it was just because knowing they were there but also then I was doing a lot of EFT at the time as well because it was the packing summit again had come round and so and I and I think and I hadn't been doing it that much and it's also that it brought me back to that and when I was reading about all the trauma as well I've read lots of on the trauma experts like Peter Levine obviously Gabriel mm. Marte Bessel van der Kolk Janina mm. Fisher and a lot of them mention EFT as well and how it can help because it helps to sort of like rewire the brain and stop the um, those trauma responses, which is where the like the impulsive behaviour comes from. Because it's like, because that's what I couldn't understand about myself. It's like, why, you know, I'm a rational, logical woman. I've been meditating for years. Why do I have these times when I can't seem to stop myself doing things like going on my phone or shopping or spending money on yet another course, and then reading that oh yeah this is my brain is like hijacking me almost and I'm actually at the moment you know I'm not there yet I'm still going through having some hypnotherapy to help deal with that addictive compulsive behavior because it I realized a few months ago it was just like another little aha moment came from like the um from the 12-step program is it the first one is like something I realised I was powerless over alcohol. I mean, it wasn't alcohol, it was my phone. Because yes. I was always like, oh, reaching out for my phone because it's just like this uh, agitation, this anxiety, needing to calm myself. And I'm thinking, this is getting out of hand. And then look at the stats on your phone, how much time you spent on it. I'm thinking, no, this is getting out of hand. I need I need to have get some help with this. And then um, and then I, I did. But... Um, I mean, she's specific. I mean, she's actually, her name's Vicky Valence-Clark. And actually, she's on my podcast this week, an interview I did with her and how she helps people overcome addictions, which can also be a problem for people who, who've who got ADHD. That's another, another can be that compulsive behaviour. And um, and re- recognising that in me, and and I think, it, it, but it was I think I perhaps hadn't been totally honest with myself before thinking oh yeah I'm fine because when I go on a retreat I switch my phone off for the week and I don't even think about it but then as soon as I'm home it's like there's this well I don't it's almost like I don't want to switch my phone back on because I'm worried about getting sucked back in <laughs> and yeah. also knowing that these things are designed to be addictive as well like 
um, social media, the likes and the comments give us that that dopamine hit when we when somebody comments on one of our posts. So it, it's kind of like finding other ways. And actually, when I was on a re- last on a retreat a couple of weeks ago, and um, one one evening I was having I was having difficulty sleeping, and so I was just lying in bed just watching my thoughts and I'm thinking actually I'm thinking my mind is much more interesting than anything I ever read on LinkedIn <laughs> why do I spend all this time on my phone it's like getting to know my mind it's it's fascinating how it works and where these thoughts come from and and, yeah. and really that you're not your thoughts the thoughts just arise anyway they just they just happen without you needing to do anything Agreed. It's funny. Dopamine detox is my latest thing, actually, which is kind of the, you know, satiating and and and, and staying away from those things that that give you the dopamine highs, like the phone, the the, the social media, because it is it's it's a it's a very fast high, isn't it? I mean, and, and, mm. and because we don't we ADHD people don't produce a huge amount of dopamine, we get very high from the the small amounts that we get anyway, and. It, it's very interesting to hear you talk about the tapping summit and and the use of hypnotherapy and and so on and so forth what's what's next helen for you you know you you kind of do you have a thought around you know the future and yourself and and you know the world and and you know not just the journey you're on because you've talked about that but helping others as well you 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 know you talk about your own podcast as well which is delightful and and by the way I'm loving listening to that as well oh thank Um, you no it's a pleasure and kind of the more that that I I am of the belief that the more you can hear other people's stories the more you can it helps your own journey right I really believe Mm. that but what's next for you? Do you have any thoughts, plans? Are you kind of going with the flow? What's what's the thinking process? Well, my as I said um, before, my I've decided. You know, I, I can I get lots of ideas, but I just thinking right. Let's make meditation the centre of everything that I do. And um, so I've. Um, as as I mentioned, I've got a son with drug and alcohol problems, and I've been going to a like support group with a local carer support for. Mm. Well, he's just turned thirty five, so fourteen years they've been helping me, um, and um, so I've been doing some work with them to support unpaid carers, um, teaching you know with group coaching and teaching them some mindfulness techniques as well you know all the things that have helped me so it's what I love doing it's all these tools I've got all these tools in my toolbox and I want you know share them with other people so I have a YouTube channel which I'm trying to grow (laughs) to well I I am growing it but it's I'd like it to go a bit faster so I can start earning some money for it some money of course yeah yeah well it's like I have we have bills today you know it's like and um I've also uh on on the insight time app which is one that I recommend to people because, again, it, it gives you stars every 10 days. So when you get a star, that gives you that little dopamine hit. And so there, there's lots of guided meditation teachers and courses. So my next step in the new year, I'm going to um, I'm going to create a course uh, to help people to establish a regular meditation practice and I did a poll on LinkedIn yesterday to find out what people's main challenges were and the main one was I think the 
highest answer so far was their mind is too busy. I think, well, that's actually the easiest problem to overcome. <laughs> You've got a busy mind. That's no problem at all. But it, there's, and it's to address these misconceptions about meditation and the fact that oh, people, people say, oh, well, I can't meditate. Well, everybody can meditate, you know. So, so there's that. And, and because of the benefits that it brings, it's, it's helped me get through all the darkest times in my life you know including the you know, problems I've had with my son and all all the other things that have happened so um so focusing on that and also but also doing a lot locally where I live so I run weekly meditation classes in Bognor Regis which I'm trying to get more people to come and and grow that because it, it, that's it, it, it's difficult you know with and, and I understand it. It's like people will come and then, oh, something happens and then they stop coming. I think, well, that's why you need to go. Because the thing is, meditation, it doesn't make your problems go away, but it gives you the tools and the resilience to deal with them, with the things that come up. So, um, and as, uh, I love the quote by um, by Wayne Dyer. He said, when you change the way you look at things, the, look, the things you look at change. And I think that that's so true. Um, so. Uh, a meditation can, can really help you with that and with that that self-awareness um because most of the problems in our world well all our problems of course you know you look at what's happening in the middle east at the moment that's all because uh, people they're just not they're not self-aware and it's like this um because i always think well the dalai lama is the perfect example because his country was invaded and yet he didn't go to war and start fighting and things like that. He's just he just sends love and kindness to everybody, even the Chinese who overtook and exiled him from his own country. So it's like the only way we're going to have peace in the world is if we start creating peace within ourselves. And I think so that is kind of like my message that I want to um, to get everybody in the world meditating. And also um, I've teamed up with a yoga teacher locally and we're going to start in the new year running meditation, introduction to meditation and yoga workshops for people to come and try it and, and get, get the benefits from it. Because that's, you know, I do, well, trying to get back into doing my yoga practice regularly as well. So because that and that's another thing that if you find it hard to sit still, I always find that, um, that doing yoga helps because that movement getting into the body and that's we we spend a lot of time in our heads and also mm. um as we touched on you know like you said having that dopamine detox that digital detox um away from the phone stop watching the news as well is what i say to people because that's all negative and it doesn't truly reflect what's happening in the world we live in the most peaceful time in history you know even in the last 50 years you know 40 50 years when I was growing up um and I'm sure you know you know that living in Ireland we had the IRA bombing everywhere and things like that and and it's like you, when you think about it it's like oh it doesn't even seem possible now we used to have bombs going off in London and things like that and bomb threat had a bomb threat in my school because I I grew up in London um but we don't have that now we, we no. it's we live in much more peaceful times in general and I think and people are, are mostly, well, everybody's good, I believe, and, and, and helpful generally. It's like when when you look at um, 
what's going on in even some of the most deprived areas. There's people like helping each other and supporting each other. And I think that's what we need to focus on. So it, it, it's because what you focus on expands. So it's like you focus on and that and again, going back to what I was saying, going through that difficult time, it's like it's why I chose to focus on gratitude. And then I even I now I even keep like a well, I, I have a spreadsheet for my accounts anyway. One advantage of being a bookkeeper, I can do all my own accounts now. And I also have a page on there when I just keep a track of all the money that comes in, even if I find a penny on the street. Because I think if I focus on this, on on not on the money that I haven't got or that I spent on courses all those years ago that I never did. Well, that's in the past now. I can't change that now. So let's focus on, on what, what I've got now. And then suddenly, you know, then and having that faith that everything's worked out up until now. So why wouldn't it work out in the future as well? Absolutely. So it's like so it's focusing on 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 the on the good things and having that that gratitude practice and going mm. back. And I've just been reading um, Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is. And again, and she says that it's like all the problems are caused by our thinking from way, the way we think about things. So, um, and, and, and like you said, you asked me before about um, that sense of empathy and picking up on people and what they need. I see that I pick up on the energy behind people's social media posts as well. And you can see there's a lot of them are just so angry and it's like, woo. And especially if somebody comments on your post, it's almost like I feel it in my solar plexus, especially if it's an angry response. Oh, cause I said this and I posted um something a few months ago about uh, saying when it was, when I was reading about trauma and realizing actually I can, I can sort these ADHD symptoms out. A lot of people thought it was great, but then also some people like, because they built a whole identity around this. And I think, that's the thing you have to be prepared to let go of that of of who you think you are and this identity and I see that very much in the neurodivergent community that they that oh it, that it becomes almost like um this dualistic thing there's them and us there's the neurodivergent people and there's the neurotypical people well there's no such thing it's a it's a spectrum you know, there's 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 no dividing line. We've no, all got, there isn't. you know, like you start looking at people around you. It's like you're thinking, well, everybody's neurodivergent, really. If we're talking about everybody's quirks and and their anomalies that are based on how they on their conditions and 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 what's and what shaped them. So um, so that's you know, it's like understanding that. Well, how did I become to be this person and all these. I mean, and it's like when I I realised that when I'd left the marriage, I hadn't dealt with it. <laughs> and that's why all this stuff came up, because I was just so relieved to be out of it. And then it was like, OK, well, I need to heal from that. And then it was like, well, it's not just about, OK, yes, I was in an abusive marriage, but it's like we've got to go back further than that and see, well, what was it that led me to be in that marriage in the first place? You know, I can't. Put all the blame on him something had you know this there was a set of conditions that that created that situation and, and what were they so because I'm not if I'm not aware of that I can just I'll just end up going and creating the same scenarios over and over again that's interesting Helen tell me you know 
you've you've referenced quite a lot of books actually and it's lovely to to listen to somebody who's such a reader um like myself actually and if you were to recommend one book and again not favoritism please mm. that, that's not the intention of this but again for, for those out there who are kind of either pre-diagnosis or kind of considering do i have adhd is there one book that springs to mind you know from your your own reading that you would recommend people read either to give a good overview or a sense of direction or, or something is there one that springs to mind at all or or perhaps a website um equally yeah uh well my my favorite well not my favorite it's not my favorite book but i think one that I can see that really helped me is um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. Oh, because I love his yes. little his yeah. little habits grid, and that can really help with sort of organisation. You know, it's like well, when it's like I've got all these things I need to do, and then I can, and I do that. I tend to categorise them now: important, not in, urgent, important, or whatever they are, because the the ones that he said that you should prioritise, the ones that are important but not urgent are the ones that that tend to get left so and that and I found found that that re really helpful and um and again there's a lovely story in there about how he has an experience which changes his view on a situation he thinks it's one way then something happens I won't spoil it but then he calls it a paradigm shift and, mm. and and so and I think you know that can help the way that you view certain situations and and it you know and helped him to become more more compassionate because of the way people are, are people are acting um because i see that you know that there's a lot of you know and, and i include myself in that i can be very i know i can be very judgmental at times and i try and catch myself doing that and and there's a lot of that going on oh because people shouldn't be acting like that or that and but it's like well you don't know what's going on behind the way they're acting so it's just like bringing compassion to that and just saying well that they're doing their best they think that what they're doing is right you think what you you're doing is right but that mm. to them might they might think that what you're doing is wrong so it's like coming back to that really and I think yeah but the first the book that I actually read that actually changed my life and set me on this trajectory was actually got it free with a magazine and it was called um feel the fear and do it anyway and that's another good book as well because yeah, it, it's it's really book. good about you know helping you step outside your comfort zone and just expanding that sort of um yeah and, and to help help you grow and it's like oh mm. this might do things that that scare yeah. you um my my favorite phrase actually ever is the magic you are looking for is in the thing you are avoiding. I yes. live by that yeah. phrase. I live by it. And it kind of just walk towards stuff that I'm fearful of all the time. And, and you know, staying out mm -hmm. of the comfort zone, just keep walking. Towards, and it's magic. It is really magic. You know, there's a book, um, uh, a, a very old book, and I'm not even sure it's in print anymore. Um, and it's called, uh, it's it's by Richard Bandler. There's two volumes of it. Um, and it's, oh, my God, the name's gone out of my mind now. The Structure of Magic. Now, as a math teacher, 
um, you will love this. Uh, Structure of Magic, Volume 1, Structure of Magic, Volume 2, and it's an incredible couple of books if you've never heard of it before, um, if you can find it. No, I haven't, like I said, I'm, I'm not even certain it's in print anymore, to be fair. Helen, I'm going to ask you yeah. one last question, if you don't mind. And okay. I'm so grateful no? for your stories today. Thank you so much. It's a very simple question, but I do ask everybody. If I could click my fingers and take away your ADHD today, would you choose to do that? Well, uh, as a, as a, I'm not sure how to answer that because I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what it is anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't want that's to change good... if, if that's, you know. So I suppose, I suppose the answer is no because it's like, yeah, it, it, it you know, this, sometimes I think, oh, you know, when I look back over my life, oh, well, I wish I'd known and, and that kind of thing. But then all those experiences have shaped me into who I am today. So it, it's like, again, there's no point in in worrying about what's happened, although it doesn't stop you at times. Um, you can't change it. And I think so it's about just coming to that point of acceptance and and changing the things the things that you can that that with that within your your power to control to control and change and letting go of anything that you can't like Agreed. biggest one for me is is what other people do what they think and what they say it's like it's none of my business <laughs> no it really isn't right it really isn't yeah. so oh yeah. that's fantastic Thank you so much. That's been a delightful chat. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, I really, really have. enjoyed it, George. Yeah, thank you. Let me just let yeah. me just press stop for a second. And one, two, three, stop. Okay.